Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Hey, thank you so much. You can sit down, Local City. I am so thankful that I get to, to come and share with you today. Uh, you know, Pastor Ryan, you said that we used to be in youth ministry. I kind of feel like I'm still in youth ministry because uh, I'm a parent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like any parents in the room? Where are you at? Like parents, yeah, a couple of you. If you're watching online, I'm sure there's some parents as well. And uh, yeah, when you're a parent, you're still in youth ministry because you got some wild kids running around and it's, it's a thing. And so, uh, but I also, I work in schools. So I have a nonprofit called Curate Hope, and now I'm an itinerant minister. So I kind of do the work of an evangelist, and I travel around, and I speak in churches and public schools and uh, different places, and I talk a lot about mental health. And the reason why is because we live in a culture right now where anxiety, despair, and depression is at an all-time high. And, uh, and a lot of times... Um, there's a lot of people who are just struggling to have hope, which I, I was telling Pastor Ryan, I love your church and the mantra that there is always hope. Because when I go into a public school, that is what I tell students all the time, that there is always hope. No matter what we're facing today, no matter how we feel today, there is always hope. So I hope you feel that. I hope you, you know that today, regardless of what uh, this week has been for you that there is always hope. Um, so I, I want to share with you just uh, real quick before I get started, a picture of my family. Uh, I have uh, three kids and my wife, Ariane, who's with me. They, they don't always get to come with me, uh, but since we are so close, we're like neighbors, uh, we were able to come up and hang out. But this is my family, uh, my wife, Ariane, my oldest, Liam, who's in middle school. Any parents of middle schoolers? Like, <sighs> I see you, all right, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Whew, we're in this together. And then this is Reese. Uh, she's 10, and then little Kinsley, uh, who is just sweet and, and just spicy. And, uh, you know, little Sour Patch Kid, you know what I'm talking about? And it's, it's great. And I love being a parent, and my kids teach me something all the time. And here's what I know right now, that in the midst of our mental health crisis, there is a core need that every single human soul has. Whether you are eight years old or 80 years old, every single human soul has a need to feel seen, yes. don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And so as we continue this series, as for me and my house, this is my encouragement for us, and this is my challenge for us, for local city, that as for me and my house, we will see others. We will see others, not just see them on the, on the outside, but we will see deeper, we'll see their heart, because that is what we all desire, isn't it? Yeah. That we all desire to be seen, not just on the surface, but to see deeper. Yes. I, I know that this is true. My kids, like I said, they teach me all the time. When my, uh, my daughter was younger, uh, when she was three, we were hanging out at home one day, and I was doing what, you know, you probably never do. I was ignoring my kids. And um, I was scrolling on my phone and probably buying something on Amazon that I didn't need. And my three-year-old comes up to me and she goes, Daddy, 
look. Dad. I'm still scrolling. Dad. Finally, I'm the last dad. I was like, yes, Reese, but I never looked up from my phone. Now, before you judge me, all right, like, I know some of y'all, you know, we're in this together, all right. And all of a sudden, this little tiny little hand grabs my chin, pulls it towards her, and she says, look at me. And she had never done that before. And if you're a parent, you know this. Like, you have a choice in those moments, those moments where your kid is just being a little extra. <laughs> you, you, the choice was, and I had that choice, I could either remind that three-year-old to be patient, or I could stop and let that three-year-old remind me to be present. Because our world, we are moving in a, a speed, in a pace of life where we're just not seeing one another very well. And in that moment, it was a small little moment, but it reminded me that Reese didn't need me to just simply acknowledge her. She needed me to see her. She needed me to be present with her. And whatever it was, whatever her need was at that moment, she needed connection. She needed not just an acknowledgement, she needed a deeper sense of connection. In church, every human soul desires that. I love one of your core values, that, uh, the core value of friendship, because it, it has this underbelly, undercurrent of connection, that connection matters. And it especially matters when we're talking about things like anxiety, depression, and despair. If you have anyone in your world who's a part of the next generation, whether they're a kid or a teenager, they're dealing with high amounts of anxiety and despair. In recent years, we've seen suicide rates skyrocket for the next generation. But guess what? It's not just the next generation. Every single generation is seeing increases of suicidal ideation. Every single generation is seeing increases in anxiety, in anxiety symptoms. And, you know, depending on how old you are, like some, sometimes we hear anxiety and we're like, what's wrong with these people? Like, we didn't have anxiety when I was growing up. We just rub dirt on it, you know? You ever heard that phrase, like, you get hurt, like, just rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine, yeah. you know? And, and we're like, what has happened? Like, how did we get here? And, and I don't want to get too far into this, because I want to talk about why there's hope and what we can do, but, but how we got here has been a trend of disconnection within our culture. We've been trending in this way for a while. I'll give you a small example of this, like, we used to just stop in at people's houses, right? I remember hanging out with my grandparents. And when I was a young boy, we'd be on an errand, dropping off something. And they would say, let's go to Henry and Judy's house. Just to stop by. And we would drive across town, knock on the door, and Henry and Judy would open the door. <laughs> and they would say, hey, you guys, what are you doing here? And every time my grandparents would say, you've probably said this too, we were just in the neighborhood. We weren't in the neighborhood. We drove halfway across town. And they would say, come on in. And we'd sit down and they would have a conversation. And there would be a, a, a room with no TVs, no iPads, no smartphones, usually floral couches. And I remember as a young boy, like sitting there because... 
they would talk, but they always had cookies, so I was okay with it, you know? And they would have these conversations, and the conversations would be, they would laugh, and then they would dip into vulnerability. At some point, they'd say something like, hey, I remember the last time we talked, we talked about this. How are you doing? And there was like this conversation. And you know what the older generation didn't know at that point, what they were doing and how the culture was set up? It was a micro moment of feeling loved and empathy. It was a micro moment of feeling seen. And guess what the research is now showing us? That when we feel seen, something actually shifts in our brain in a very practical way. So when we talk about friendship, when we talk about the need to be seen, it's not just a biblical principle, although it is. Connection and community is a biblical principle, but it's also a principle that is just how God wired our brains. It influences our brain in a powerful way. And we have been trending more and more and more to a culture of disconnection. And so we wonder, how did we get here? Perhaps part of the problem, not all, but part of the problem is we've lost the ability to see one another, to slow down and see. And so what can we do? Well, I want you to know... (laughs) God has not left us alone. There is always hope. And as Jesus said it, the words of Jesus in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It is God's desire not that we are just overwhelmed by anxiety and despair. It's God's desire that we have life and have it to the full. And every human soul needs to feel seen by, by two people. The first one is to feel seen by our Heavenly Father, but the second is to feel seen by another. That is a need, a core need. And guess what? When when Jesus talks about this, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, I've come that they may have life. He has a secret weapon. His secret weapon to help influence our brains towards healing and away from mental health challenges is actually you. You're the secret weapon. His church, his people you can help influence the brain towards healing. That's really good news. Because whether you have a neighbor, a coworker, a spouse, a friend, or someone in your family who's struggling with a mental health issue, it doesn't mean that, that you're the only solution. I, I want to reiterate that sometimes there are doctors that are needed, and therapists that are needed, and medicine is needed. There are practical things that are needed. But your love matters. Your connection matters. It's part of the solution. Just in the same way, by the way, if, if you struggle with this in any regard, you have to remember the brain is, is an organ, just like any other part of your body, right? Like your heart, your physical beating heart is an organ. Your lungs are an organ. If you had an issue with your kidneys, you would probably go to the doctor. And you would also pray, God, heal my body, right? Your faith and your action coincide together. And the same is true with our brain, that yes, there's some practical things that are needed, but there's also some some very spiritual things that are also needed. And the two work together, hand in hand. If I was having a heart attack on this stage, which hopefully I don't, (laughs) but my hope would be that Ryan wouldn't come up and be like, you know what, let's pray for you. My hope would be he would say, let's pray for you and let's call an ambulance. It's it's faith and works together. It's the action together. 
So understand that, yes, there's power in Jesus' name. There's power in the truth of Scripture. There's power in worship. There's power in biblical community. There is power in prayer. The spiritual tools that we have don't take away from some of the practical tools of mental health. They work together. And you can be a part of the solution when somebody's hurting. Your love and empathy actually matter, and they influence the brain in a really tangible way. I'll give you a quick neuroscience lesson just to kind of help you understand this, all right? But first off, let me say, if you're a doctor, uh, this is a, a very simplified version. So uh, you might look at this and be like, well, that's kind of right. It is. It's kind of <laughs> right. Uh, very simplified version. But I want to make this simple because neuroscience can be overwhelming, and the brain is probably the most complex organ of our body. So to simply, to kind of simplify the brain, you have two parts of your brain. You have the, the left side of your brain, which is your logical processing, and the right side of your brain, which is your emotional processing. Now, in a healthy brain, you feel these emotions, like these things happen. Fight, flight, or freeze kind of exists on the, left, on the right side of your brain. So when you hear something scary, let's say we're in your house, and you hear glass shattering and a big crash, immediately your fight, flight, or freeze is going to go, <gasps> right? And depending on how you're wired, some of us will run out the room. Some of us will freeze like a deer in headlights. And then, you know, Florida man will like try to grab something, you know? <laughs> I'm like, Whoa! you know, there's an alligator in my house. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we don't worry about alligators in Florida. Um, but there's a robber in my house. What is it, right? And immediately we go and fight, flight, or freeze. But then let's say that our logical brain kicks in. We observe and we see that a picture had fallen off the wall and shattered on the ground. We take a deep breath. Our logical brain says, I'm not in danger. Somebody didn't break into my house, and I'm okay. In a few minutes, you go and you clean it up. You sweep it up, and after 10 minutes, it all resolves. That's normal functioning. The problem is is that when we experience stress and trauma, stress and trauma, and we continue to perceive threats in our world over and over and over again, cortisol, stress hormone you've likely heard about, can kind of flood the brain. And I like to think of it, especially for the next generation, it gets stuck like a leaky faucet, like a drip, 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 drip. And over time, this can kind of create a barrier, like a disappearing between the right side and the left side of the brain. So when you see somebody in a place of despair, or they just feel hopeless, Imagine their brain is dispaired where the right side and the left side of the brain aren't connected. Now, here's why this matters, church. Because when somebody is in this condition and we, we see that the, the, the right side, this, all this emotional energy, it's almost like they've taken a big, deep breath of emotional air and they can't exhale. And when we engage them with only logic, when we engage them with only the truth of Scripture, when we engage them of what they should and they shouldn't do, their actions and their behaviors, we miss where they are. They can't receive the information because the two are disconnected. But here's the cool thing. Yes, cortisol does this. this your brain responds predictably in this way. God wired it to respond this way. We're just not wired to have that much cortisol all the time. But here's the cool thing, and here's the hope. Are you ready for some hope? Here's the hope. The brain also responds predictably to love and empathy in powerful ways. Even when we're in despair or we're facing high anxiety, when we feel seen, when we feel love and empathy, it actually engages another hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin can help reroute the brain back to when we felt safe and develop secure attachment with another person and decrease 
the feelings of anxiety and despair. So in other words, connection can be a huge help in healing the brain and re-engaging the left side processing. Now this matters because if we can see people, meet them right where they are first with love and empathy, then we can decrease some of the energy on the right side of the brain and engage the logical processing and help them to build resilience and grit to overcome the negative challenges that they're facing. I like to say it this way. We have to win the heart before we can lead the mind. The heart, where does the heart exist, by the way? Yes, we have this physical beating heart, but oftentimes when the Bible says, like, guard your heart or, or about your heart, it's the right side of your brain. You have two brains. You have the heart brain and the, the logical brain. So we can help lead the logical side, but we have to win the heart before we can lead the mind. So connection matters when we talk about anxiety, when we talk about mental health. Your love, your empathy can actually help someone else to heal. And that's really, really good news. Now, I want to make this really practical. So before you walk out this room or before you sign off online, I want you to have some practical things that you could apply right away. Because chances are, there's somebody in your world who's struggling with some anxiety. There's somebody in your world who's struggling with depression or despair. And you've maybe wondered, and maybe you've even felt powerless. Maybe you felt like, there's nothing I can do. I don't know how to help them. Now again, I'm not saying that you have to be the only solution, but I just want you to feel empowered to know that there is something that when you do it, it does help. It does make a difference. That love and empathy actually do make a difference when it comes to mental health. So I wanna make this really practical. Here's the first way that you can very practically help someone, help them to feel seen. The first one is to show up and slow down. Show up and slow down. Now, this almost feels too simple to matter, but this matters a whole lot. Why? Because we have a culture of constant digital connection, and our brains don't receive empathy the same way digitally as we do face-to-face. For instance, there's a big difference if I experience a disappointing event and uh, let's say something happened, like maybe a, a, you know, a project that I failed or um, I, you know, someone hurt me or relationally there was a betrayal. And if a friend empathizes with me and they show up and they go, oh man, I'm so sorry that happened. They give me a hug or appropriate physical touch of like, you know, pat on the shoulder or something that, that just lets me know they're with me. The eye contact, when I see their face wins, the tone of their voice, All of that helps release oxytocin. And all of that communicates to the right side of my brain, my friend cares about me, and I'm safe, and I'm seen. But let's say that I experience the same disappointing event, but instead of showing up and being present with me, my friend shoots me a text message and says, I'm so sorry, emoji, 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 gif, you know, this is cool, you know, whatever. That would be great. Would I feel that my friend cares about me? Yes. But would it release the same level of oxytocin? No. Because our brains receive the information differently. So face-to-face matters. So we have to show up and we have to slow down. Two ways that we can make this practical, show up undistracted and show up when it's inconvenient. Show up undistracted and show up when it's inconvenient. I'll I'll tell you this, as a pastor, sometimes I've shown up on Sunday mornings, 
and I'm trying to, to talk to someone in the lobby, but I'm really thinking about the next thing I can do or I need to talk to someone else and I'm looking over their shoulder. And if you've ever had that happen in the workplace or in church or wherever, or even in your family, it's like you don't really feel seen because you know their mind's somewhere else. So we have to show up physically but also mentally for people. Parents, what this could look like for you or even spouses, when somebody walks in the room, you're watching TV, pause it, which is an incredible technology, by the way. Like, because you used to not be able to pause it. You were like, wait for a commercial. I'm, uh, I'm in the zone right now, you know? But pause it for a minute and just say, hey, how you doing? Like 30 seconds of connection, even. Oftentimes, parents will ask me, well, my teenager doesn't want to talk. How do I get him to talk? And the answer is you can't force conversations, especially if somebody's hurting. They don't always want to talk, but what you can do is increase the opportunity and the frequency. And if they know that when they are ready to talk, you're going to be fully there, you're most likely going to have a conversation. And conversations are seeds for healing. So show up undistracted and show up when it's inconvenient. It's not always going to be convenient to have a conversation. If you are a manager or you're a boss and you have employees, you know, it might not be convenient to show up and just help your employees feel seen. And sometimes in our American culture, we have this mindset too, well, that's not my job. I'm not their counselor. You don't have to be their counselor. You just have to be human. We've lost a little bit of humanity within our high-performance American culture. I know that's tough. And you might disagree with me. But the reality is, is there's a lot of hurting people. And we're the church. We're God's people. And just a few moments can make a big difference for somebody. Just slowing down, showing up, being present can matter. And it may not be always convenient, but it's always worth it. If you're a parent, your kid will want to talk at midnight. All the time. Like, kids become like deep theologians, you know, at bedtime. You're like, for the love of God, just stop. I don't want to talk right now, right? I'm like, I know, I I feel that pain, you know? And uh, even in youth ministry, you remember this, we'd go on youth retreat, retreats and camps, and it was always at like 1 a.m. It was like the deepest conversations, you know? And I know it's inconvenient. And I'm not saying you have to do it every night. But when, the, when there's an opportunity to simply show up and have a conversation and see them, do your best to just show up. I do that with my kids, and sometimes I'm really tired, and I just tell myself over and over and over again in the back of my mind, I'm just... Just show up, just show up, just show up. Five more minutes, buddy, you got this, you know? Like, coach myself through it. Um, It's not always convenient, but when we show up and we slow down, here's what people feel. They feel loved. Isn't that true? Like, if you had a best friend that was going through a crisis halfway across the country, you want to show up for them, right? That's what you want to do. And what's the end result? They always feel loved. They know you care about them. So that's a practical one. Here's the next one. The next one is to see them. So when you show up, you slow down, you're present, now you have to see them. And what I mean by this is see beyond the behavior to see the emotion. 
As, as employers, for instance, as managers, what we want to do is always go to the performance results. You know what, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're running late, you're doing this, and behavior, behavior, behavior. So you better ship up or shape out. Or wait, that's wrong. Shape up or ship out. <laughs> and, and what do we do in that moment? Do we really see people? If they're right brain activated and they're going through a crisis, and again, there's a lot of things that we're all facing. Like we're facing negative and accusatory voices. We're facing crises and things in life and pressures. And yes, sometimes that comes out in our behavior that's not desirable. And I'm not saying that we don't hold people accountable. I'm not saying that we don't have standards and, and boundaries. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we don't start there. We first meet them right where they are with empathy, allow them to emotionally exhale, then we can engage the left side of the brain and talk about the performance stuff. Does that make sense? It's not that we don't still need the boundaries. It's just we just don't start there. I'll give you another parent example. If, maybe some of you have teenagers. If, um, if you have a 15-year-old daughter, and let's say she comes home, she throws her backpack down, she kicks her shoes across the room, and she's got a, a whole vibe going on, a whole attitude. And you say to her, you go, what is going on? And meanwhile, you're thinking in the back of your brain, I've told her a million times not to kick her shoes across the room. And so she goes into this whole spiel about, it was just the worst day ever, and my backpack strap broke, and these shoes are just stupid, and Sarah said something to me that really made me mad, and I failed my history test, and blah, blah, blah. And all you hear as parents, by the way, is, I failed my history test, right? Some of you are like, I lived this story. Like, that was me. <laughs> and, and as a parent, here's what we want to do. We want to go, you failed your history test? You know what? I, I can't with you. I can't even. Like, we've talked about this. Last night, I asked you if you had homework. You told me no. And then I told you to study. You're like, I don't have to study. And I told you to go to bed. And then I came in at 11 o'clock, and you're in your bedroom doing your little tickety-tock dance moves. <laughs> and you might even say, like, you know what? I'm not surprised, because God only helps those who help themselves. <laughs> not theologically correct, by the way. <laughs> And, and what will happen is whether this is your 15-year-old daughter in this scenario or if it's an employer or your spouse, they will roll their eyes and say, you just don't understand. And here's what I want you to know. Reframe that phrase. Anytime somebody says, you don't understand, what they're really saying is, you don't see me. That's what they're really saying. And again, it's not that we don't have the logical stuff. And as a, as a parent with a 15-year-old daughter, all of that is true. They need to study. They need to have responsibility. They need to, yes, go to bed on time. That's all logical brain stuff. But when we have a right brain, highly emotionally activated individual, left brain logic just flies right by them. So we first have to help them to feel seen, to meet them with empathy first, then we can engage the left side of the brain. I'll, wrap it up with, it could go differently with your 15-year-old daughter coming in, and instead of saying all the things that you're thinking, just hold on to them for a minute and say, honey, I'm so sorry. Here, come sit down. Here, sit down. Tell me more. I, I, can, I can imagine that you feel really disappointed. I know how important that class was to you. I bet you feel scared now that your GPA is going to slip. I do feel scared. 
I'm really sorry. If I failed a test or a project at work, I'd, I'd probably feel exactly how you feel. That's not missing what's true over here. It's just starting at a different point. And I'm not saying that this is easy, by the way. I'm just saying that the more we can be intentional, and maybe not five out of five, okay, that you respond this way, but try to at least get two out of five that you respond in this way. Just the intentional steps can help people to feel seen, decrease the right side of the brain and re-engage the left side, and that brings healing, especially when they're facing high anxiety and despair. So in closing, when we see them, they feel understood. So if you're wondering, what can I do to help the people around me that I love who are facing anxiety and despair or depression? Seeing them matters. Your love matters. In a practical way, God uses it to influence the brain towards healing, and that is pretty incredible. I'll end with this. I, um, I've often thought about Paul, the life of Paul. If you're familiar with Bible study, then you've read maybe the life of Paul Paul was one of the early followers of, of Jesus. And Paul had a lot going on. He was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was jailed. Like, Paul was mistreated for following Jesus. And here's the question I've often thought. Why didn't Paul need a therapist? You ever thought that? Like, that's a lot of trauma. I'm like... I think if I was living Paul's life, I might need a therapist. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Did Paul have a close relationship with Jesus? Yes. That's a big part of it. But you want to know what else I think was a big part of Paul in his ability to overcome all the negative pressures in life that he faced? Paul's culture was slower. If Paul had a meeting in Clearwater, he likely had to walk there. Or if he was on a donkey... Well, donkeys don't go fast, all right? And, and during that walk, he's probably walking with a friend. He's talking. He's, he's emotionally exhaling. They're reflecting on what they experience. There's no podcast. There's no, well, we got to get there. No, it's going to take four hours no matter what. And in that time, there's a slowness. There's a stillness. There's a seenness that Paul feels. His culture was set up different from ours, just like my grandparents' culture. There was more connection just built into the overall rhythms of life. In church, if you're wondering how did we get here, I, I think part of it is we've lost the ability to see one another in deep ways. Paul had that. He felt seen by his heavenly father, which was a big, big part. But he also felt seen by the people around him. He was in a very communal culture. So maybe you're here today and you're feeling that tension. Maybe you yourself are struggling with anxiety or despair. Maybe you don't feel seen by God. I want you to know we serve a God who sees you. We serve a God who loves you. No matter how many steps you can take away from Jesus, maybe you feel like well, you don't know. I've taken too many steps. I've gone the way opposite direction of all this. I'm not even sure how I'm here today. You can take a thousand steps away from Jesus, but it only takes one step back to him.
because he's never left you. Despite you feeling like God's a million miles away, he's not. He sees you. We serve a loving, personal God. I don't know how or why he does it, but his love is great. And he sees you. And he wants you to take that step back to him. Maybe you need to feel seen by others. Or maybe you have somebody in your heart right now that you're thinking about that is struggling with a mental health challenge. Well, I want to pause and I want to pray for them specifically. And for those of you who need prayer and you feel like you need God to see you or you want to feel seen by God, we're going to pray for you in just a minute. But for those of us who maybe just need some community or we have somebody in our heart that we know needs to feel seen, let's just ask God to help us this morning. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we come before you and we stand together as one church, one community, and we ask that you would fill us and empower us with your love. God, help us to slow down and show up and to see people in a real tangible way. God, help us not to rush to the logical, but God, help us to see people right where they are with love and empathy. God, your love changes us. God, let us be a vessel of your love to others. That anxiety would be broken in Jesus' name. That despair would be gone in Jesus' name. That hope would rise in Jesus' name. And that we would be a vessel of your love that people would feel seen because we, God, are seen by you. We thank you that you love us that much. And we ask that you would use us in Jesus' name. Everyone say. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.